Welcome to Big Man Big Theology. My name is Jordan. I'm Cody. And I'm Trey. What's up, guys? Oh, oh yeah, we got <laughs> we got Garrett. Garrett's here too. He's not invisible, Jordan. G Mill. G Mill is in the house. Garrett we're all back together. Summer. We're all back together and we're thankful that we're here together trying to trying to record some record again. So inconsistent as usual. Very inconsistent. So what's been going on, Trey? Uh nothing. Just a lot of work. We're doing five day club this week. Oh, a bunch of kids. Yeah. yeah. So we're Trey. going around to Aries and Montgomery. Yeah. Almost said Mobile. We're going around Aries and Montgomery, and we are sharing the gospel in the silliest way imaginable. So not, <laughs> it's not, not silly. silly. It's we not silly. we shared it. It's somewhat serious. It's somewhat like, serious. We're talking about like hell and stuff, but <laughs> but we did get our new church directors yesterday. It's oh, like right. a four year work in it, and I don't know if you guys saw. Jordan's picture, but the way I've been describing it is that he looks like the most well-fed homeless man. <laughs> but that's about it. It's true. It's true. Um, I look terrible in it. It's okay. I, I wasn't prepared for the day. It also just said, hey, Cody's you need to come an, take a picture. It also said Cody's still an intern. In the show. He's not an intern anymore. Cody has graduated from the internship. As have I, and it also says, I have, it says, it says I have, worship director and have, pastoral intern. I have been demoted. <laughs> uh, Cody, we we need to talk about something though uh, that's new on your head. Um, it I, the best way I know how to say what it is is a racing stripe going it's a, down. It's the, an awesome mohawk. It, it's, We're going to talk about. It. So Cody, this is the this is the shortest I've ever seen Cody's hair, but I think it looks great. But it it's definitely not, is a mohawk. Te- it's not a technical mohawk. No. If, if, it, if it you spiked it up, it would, though. No, right? you spiked it up, but, it's like, I don't long. spike it up. Here's the thing. So, Cody's hair was a lot longer on top. So, Cody has, like, that, that cool haircut where it's really short on the sides and, like, long up top. Um, something that, like, big men can't pull off because we'd look really <laughs> weird if we did that. I think I'm going to do it. No. Teach his own. I've, but, I've, like, I've seen big men do it. Yeah, well, so. you, Jordan, you have liberty to do it. That's not going to stop me from making fun of you, though. But Cody can pull this hair hair off or this haircut off. But he cut it shorter, which actually makes I think his hair on the top look a lot thicker than than it did when it was longer. Are those new glasses too that I've you have? Had, I've had these for a long time. Okay, those glasses Except for a few months. For a few that, months. Those those glasses are sick, man. That gum. You look Harry Potterish right now. Thanks. Cody I looks mean, like there should be a PhD after his like, name. It's, it, no, it looks like it's, it looks like Harry Potter went and got a mohawk. That's what it does. It does look like that a little bit. Thank you. And grow a beard. So, it looks pretty good. Garrett, what's up with you? That's it. That's it. <laughs> Appreciate all of you contribute to our podcast, there Garrett. There we go. So, what are we talking about today? So, we are talking about the quote-unquote demise of New Calvinism. Mm. So, we've seen in the recent weeks several uh, big quote-unquote, like, new Calvinist figures or those who kind of began the resurgence of Calvinism and evangelicalism back in, like, the early, mid-2000s that are all either, like, leaving... They're just leaving the bounds... In a lot of ways, like, the bounds of orthodoxy or they're just leaving healthy theology. Um, and two figures in particular I'm thinking of are Mark O'Driscoll... And which I mean, he jumped off the bandwagon. So a what, long give, time ago. give us yeah. a little and, bit of what he said and, recently. Who's the other, well, hold on, who's the okay, other person? Yeah. And Joshua Harris. Okay. Oh yeah. gosh, yes. So 
Mark Driscoll came out, I think it was about last week or two weeks ago, doing this interview about how Calvinism is essentially monstrous. That is terrible, terrible. The word that he uses, it is garbage. Yeah, Yeah. he said it's garbage. Yeah, so Calvinism is garbage. And that Calvinists have father issues. That's That's right. right. Um, Well, he was saying in light of all these different isms, so like feminism. Um, atheism, agnosticism, and then he lumps in Calvinism with all of those things, and he and basically gives why it's also a bad view. Yeah, I mean, he spends too much time with Hillsong. So. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I just don't think he likes yeah, that Calvinism so, calling him on his junk. I mean, Driscoll obviously has other issues aside from the theological, but um, but we're seeing this trend, right, of those who were formerly leaders, kind of in this re- Calvinism resurgence, ref- loosely reformed. reformed. I wouldn't say it's reform, but like Calvinistic resurgence um, that are or that are leaving that train, so to speak. So, yeah. real um, briefly though, before we go further, let's let's go ahead and give categories. So, what we're talking about here is Calvinism is basically at its crux is God's sovereignty in salvation. Um, so we see we see man's inability, their depravity, and we see God working in the, through His Spirit through his son um, working in salvation for this for this ultimate sin and salvation of his elect people. If, if only there was an acronym that could sum it up. <laughs> what if would only there was... Have you thought of one, Trey? I, I think I've got one. Okay. okay. Pulpit. No. Oh. <laughs> I saw one. And I, no, I did. I did see one that was, it was put into the word bacon. Oh, oh yes. <laughs> but I don't I have that it. memorized, although I should. As a big man, I should. But it is summarized. So what is it, your original my, my original one that no one has ever thought of is wrapped up in the most beautiful flower on the face of the earth, which is the tulip. Rose? Oh. <laughs> tulip. Tulip. Okay. It's, well, in, it's in tulip, right? But that, are you sure? Because Jesus wants the rose. That's right. Stop. <laughs> that, hey, let's don't no. bash on that. The first, the first time I heard that, I was new to Calvinism. If, if you're not familiar with what we're talking about, we're talking about Matt Chandler. Uh, Matt Chandler has a video called Jesus Wants the Rose. The first time I heard that, I was new to Calvinism. I was blubbering, crying. That was so beautiful. Like that illustration was never awesome. seen Trey blubbering, crying. It's pretty, it's pretty it's ungraceful. It's, it is very ungraceful. I feel like it's a fairly common occurrence, too. But, so, so, <laughs> stop. I we start spraying. That's in, one of my I favorite things. I can't get in the pulpit and not cry. But um, that's becoming my thing. Like, Cody has this like artistic way that he preaches. Jordan is excellent in application, and Trey cries, and that's about it. Um, but no, but in all seriousness, like, yeah, Calvinism is wrapped up in tulip. Like, so T for total depravity, U for unconditional election, L for limited atonement or definite atonement, I for irresistible grace, and uh, P for perseverance of the saints or uh, yeah. preservance of the Preservation Pe- of perseverance. Yeah, and yeah. I think it's helpful too to kind of put out there what we mean by new Calvinism. Right. So, uh, Reformed theo- theology largely kind of got thrown to the back burner, to the wayside, um, for much of the uh, 20th century within right. broader evangelicalism. Aside from you know Presbyterianism, but aside, aside from that. Like Baptist circles in particular, and Baptistic circles in particular, were largely not Calvinistic, and so we see we saw with kind of the advent of like the John Pipers of the world this this influence of new Calvinism of a resurgence of Calvinism, and in the two thousands we saw men like Mark Driscoll, 
um, even Joshua Harris within kind of Sovereign Grace circles, um, men like that kind of lead this charge um, towards a resurgence of Calvinism, and we're seeing that kind of cr- crumble now. And it's crumbling in a lot of different ways. I mean, you see it somewhat in social justice circles. You see it somewhat in um, other other realms where they're saying they're saying uh, we love this aspect of of the gospel ministry more than this aspect, and we'll forsake this aspect. T- talking about Calvinism for these other things. Sure. Yeah. And so, yeah. So, largely, New Calvinism is a, Calvinism is a category for people who are Calvinist, but that's about all they are. Right. They're very kind of amorphous in all of the other areas right. of just ministry and theology. Right. They don't really fit into a box. Well, their understanding of salvation is the, the Calvinistic view of that, which is God yeah. chooses yeah. people from the foundation versus before yeah. the foundation but of aside, the earth. Yeah, but say, as, aside from Calvinism, they don't really fit into any like right. traditional Reformed boxes. So, what, where right. do you, where Cody? Where do you see this this going in the next couple of years, next decade? I think you're going to see more and more just Calvinist, not reform people is like tradition would call them, but more and more Calvinist just begin leaving the brand, so to speak. So I think you're going to see a lot more Calvinists leaving Calvinism. Um, you see this, I mean, not even Driscoll, there are like figures in even Christian hip hop who are doing this, who kind of see, even with a lot of the j- racial issues, right? They look back on history and say, well, I've seen I, I, a ton of Calvinists and reform people who were owning slaves, selling slaves, promoting segregation. And so obviously, because they got that issue wrong, they probably got the Calvinism issue wrong as well. And so they're going to rethink all of their theology right in light of this one particular issue. And so I think you're going to see more and more just Calvinist kind of follow that trend and leave Calvinism for the sake of kind of like Jordan mentioned a host of these other issues. Yeah, yeah that's so that's that's really good. So I think what what you're going to see is um and, and what you are seeing is really those who came into Calvinism earlier on back when I when I first came into Calvinism in the early 2000s, um, you either grow deeper into what Reformed theology is, which yeah. you see a lot, it's bigger than just Calvinism. You yeah. see that Reformed theology is not only the five solas even, yeah. it's it's really an entire practice of who we are. It's, yeah. it's the regular principle. It's how we worship. It's how yeah. we read the Word. It's how we look at the Word. It's it's even more so than that. It's It's having understanding of big doctrines like covenant theology and understanding how that works together. So reformed in a sense is much as a a much larger perspective than just being a Calvinist. Um, So when you say you're reformed, that's, that's meaning a lot more and being able to define the terms is super important in these, in these conversations in these dialogues that we're having, because I think what a lot of people are having is like, they're good with, Calvinistic soteriology, but they just leave it there. They don't understand what church is. They don't understand the, like the the ordinary means of grace. Um, it, it's sort of it, it. It just becomes this gray area that's not good. Yeah, it's just a fad. So or clear. You see, you see this with like larger, even like you know, like multi-site churches, multi-church churches, whatever the new fad <laughs> yeah. is in regards to church planting. 
Um, you see many of those massive churches who are largely Calvinistic in their soteriology, but are all over the place in regards to their ecclesiology, how they think about worship. Right. right. Um, and ecclesiology is what? The doctrine so of the church. Right, yeah. yeah, it's just yeah the, 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 how the, the doctrine church, of the church. Of church yeah. There are a lot of people, so I, just to let you guys know, Cody. Well, I just think we haven't done a very good job of defining of, terms. Yeah, because I've slipped off that. And uh, yeah. something I want to bring up, though, is that with all of those things that we see that seem to be negatives, I feel like there is, though, a growing movement of confessionalism. Yeah. With, and so, like, yeah. I mean, I'm seeing, I feel like I'm seeing, I feel like I'm seeing, <laughs> I'm seeing the number 1689. A lot more than, say, just a handful of years ago. So um, how would you define confessionalism, Trey? How would I define confessionalism? Yeah. As it is that we... No creed but the Bible. That's a creed. I'm oh, sorry. <laughs> yeah, no creed but Christ. Well, that's a creed, sir. <laughs> yeah, no, it is when we, we are... We do hold that the Bible is the ultimate authority in our lives. But So here at Morning View, though we do hold that the Bible is the ultimate authority, we have wanted to not pigeonhole ourselves, but narrow ourselves down to a certain confession of faith so that you can know exactly what we believe right. about anything that the Bible talks about. So we adhere to the, the Second London Baptist Confession of 1689. Um, We'd encourage you guys to read through it. Yeah. It's really, it's, it's not, it's, it's, it's a confession of faith, but actually it's very heartwarming. It's yeah. written very warm to, especially in the modern English version you yeah. can understand a lot better but man when i read through it my heart is warm reading through it and so yeah. we would encourage you to read through those yeah. uh yeah. doctrine uh, the confessions of faith specifically ours is the 689 it gives a it's it's is derived from the westminster right um with a little with, with a few uh overarching few, themes right. namely our views of the covenants and baptism um, there's a few differences there. And church government. And church government, yeah. polity. Yeah. So um, so you even see a little movement in these things. So the first one written would have been the Westminster, um, and then there was one shortly after it called the Savoy Declaration of the Labors, um, which which they actually, it is a more so Presbyterian, Pado-Baptist uh, document, but they do start changing their, their their ecclesiology to actually reflect more of like how we yeah, see ourselves as early, Baptists. The early congregational. So it was a, it was a great step to the 1689, and so it's if you look at them, they're almost word for word the same, but in those few those few paragraphs and difference of say ecclesiology and in baptism. But but that is what we hold ourselves to. We also as Southern Baptists hold to the uh, the Baptist faith, faith the message of, of, of 2000. Um, which I I, th- I think could be better, but that's it's, so I think I think there's I think I, and I we may disagree here. That's okay. I think sometimes we get as Baptists too broad, and we just allow yeah allow a lot of camps into our midst, yeah. <laughs> and yeah. that's where I we. I mean, it's good to the extent that we are going forward to all nations, preaching the gospel, declaring the good news of Jesus Christ. There's the good th- the good things. Problems are is we when we get together. There's a lot of differences in how we believe and right. yeah. and think, what we think, think about scripture. I think it's helpful, especially with things like the Baptist faith and message that is not super historically rooted. It's been changed a bunch. Like right. we can keep changing it. So I think what we ought to be doing. I think you see this even recently in regards to just like complementarian debates. And there's a lot of kind of even loose language in the Baptist faith and message about what all complementarianism entails. I think it'd be helpful to like just 
you know, not convene councils, but just like convene a group, a committee, in Southern Baptist lingo, to like kind of go back over it and see if like if we need to, you know, tinker with articles here and there as we encounter things over time, we should be yeah. willing to change that. Because it's not like the Second London or the Westminster that's like been historically rooted for 400 years, right? Um, we have a document that's been already changed three or four times. Right. And so I don't think, yeah, so... I'd like to know, even in, like, and getting back to the New Calvinism debate, yeah. really the, the d- d- demise of the New Calvinism, yeah. some of these pastors, what, where are their confessions at? Do they have confessions of faith that they particularly hold, by, hold to? Well, they, every church on their website has a what we believe section. Right. And it's, they're typically very vague. Um, some of it is... Some of it's good stuff, like when they talk about salvation, you know, like yeah. goes back by grace through faith alone in Jesus. But, like, it doesn't really go much deeper than that. Well, the, yeah, well, and the issue is they largely don't use those in practice. Right? right. So they're on the website just to kind of show to the world this is what we believe. And I think confessionalism really is one of the linchpins of why the new Calvinism movement is falling apart. Yeah. It's because none of these yeah. new Calvinists were grounded in any sort of traditional exactly. understanding of yes. theology. And so, right, and another great aspect of confessions is that confessions are not only meant to promote what you believe is biblical theology, but it guards the church from swaying. Right. right? It guards right. pastors from swaying when you hold pastors to the confession of your church. And so when you have a whole generation of people who are not confessional, who aren't holding their pastors to any sort of a firm confessional standard, then you're just asking for things like this to happen where you have pastors begin drifting and congregations have really in that sense not – there's not a lot of ability to hold their pastors accountable because they haven't. Yeah. Well, that's just like – I mean like to to illustrate this, this would be like – like you're bowling, for instance, and it keeps you from throwing the ball in the gutter. It is, it yeah. is, it is the, the inflatable bumpers that go down that keeps you in so that you know you're going to knock down the correct pins. Yeah. And so it's, it's, that's why it is important. It keeps you in orthodox theology. Yeah, and we, we here at uh, Morning View, we're a congregational church. So we actually can, as a congregational church, we're congregationally ruled. So our pastors are aren't really allowed to go outside of our confessional standards. And when they do, our congregation as a whole begins to correct the course uh, yeah. because we come back to the confession. What does our confession say? Yeah. Um, and that's I think that's really where the new Calvinists are really slipping and going down a slippery slope is that they don't have anything that's really grounding them yeah. in, in doctrine and theology and in practice. Yeah. And so that's really... Uh, it's it's become such a yeah. a hard a hard gray area that everybody is yeah. it just ends why it's murky when you, when you look at a lot of these like new Calvinist churches that are not confessional and we mentioned before you even see them stray on issues like worship and the regular principle it affects how they structure their churches um, so you kind of see this yeah a lot of no, new Calvinists and kind of almost the biggest new Calvinists out there are often very pragmatic people. Right. Right. So they're often like adopting, you know, secular business practices or, you know, just often having a top down ecclesiology. Um, that was Mark Driscoll's issue in Seattle. It was a very top down hierarchy. 
And that ultimately, I actually went to Seattle. I I was a part of Mars Hill for a few months um, when I lived in Seattle back when I was 18 or 19 years old. And it it was just crazy just like the structure of the church and how much one man ruled the church. Yeah. Like domineered the church yeah. and like it it could not exist apart from this one man. Yeah, and it was the same even we mentioned <coughs> Joshua Harris before in Sovereign Grace. Before and luckily a lot of Sovereign Grace churches are beginning to change their ecclesiology, but for the longest time it was top down. CJ ran that thing. Um, you know, with Joshua Harris almost right under him, kind of like as a protege type figure. Um, and now you're kind of seeing what's happening with Joshua Harris. And so I don't know for our listeners how kind of aware you are. So Joshua Harris posted on Instagram this last weekend, I believe, or a couple of days ago that him and his wife were getting a divorce. And then he, even more recently than that, did an interview with um, Sojourners Magazine, which is a kind of known... Um, like theologically progressive magazine and in the article or the interview he explicitly begins listing things like the roles of women in churches how we view the bible as things that ought to be changed right and things that probably led to um, the sexual abuse issues that we're dealing with within our various denominations and so you see joshua harris who's not only um, tragically like leaving his wife but he is also beginning to stray theologically left right. in the name of dealing with a lot of, and that's what we mentioned before. That's crazy. like the guy who said, "I kiss dating goodbye." Yeah, yeah. He also Are, is this the first time you hear that? I don't. Whoa! I I I must have blanked out for a minute. Man, yeah. So he posted. I don't on, want to. I don't want to slander anything. But the guy who wrote well, no, no, "I no, kiss no. dating goodbye" is leaving his well, wife. Yeah, I would say that this this is okay for us to talk about because he posted this on social media. Yeah, yeah it was like on Instagram. He, he and his wife post on Instagram that they are separating their marriage and they feel like that is what is best for them. Yeah, um, and the way that they, they talked about it was if it was this great thing. They're yeah, like, as, it, as, is, as if it honored God. Is, in yeah, some like way. this is going to be a wonderful thing. We've realized we just don't connect like they have, we used they to. They have three and, children, I think. I mean, yeah. they, they have children. Yeah. I, I, I want to say this to our listeners. God's word is explicit on these things. Yeah. And I want you to know, like, this, it does not honor God to forsake the marriage covenant in Amen. any yeah. way. That That is not God honoring. And that, this is coming from a single man. I want you to know that this is not, that is not God honoring. And if he if he's still allowed to be a pastor up there during no, he, this? No, I don't know. No, he left. Okay. He left. Um, that's uh, so he's not a pastor a long anymore. Time ago. Yeah, is he, is he, he pastoring left. at all? I don't no. think I don't no, know okay. he is. No, no, he but left. still, he's a man who, who who wears the badge of Jesus, yeah, and is and is claiming to be a believer and is doing this, and yeah. that's that is a big issue. And to post yeah. it publicly like that yeah. with, with the type of influence that he has, like how many people could he be deceiving yeah. into thinking that this is okay? Yeah, well, and even with his his interview of talking about like a needed issue, right, the sexual abuse like just arena in which we find ourselves in nowadays. Um, we're talking about a needed issue, but his solution to the problem is to then jettison biblical teaching. Mm-hmm. He's arguing that it's actually orthodox theology that has led to sexual abuse. And so we need to jettison that in order to truly care for women. Um, what a wow. poor view of sin. Wow. Yeah. 
What a and, poor and view. We mentioned of before, yeah, you see people doing this with even the racial discussions. So it's tragic. You see like needed conversations that have to be had about racial issues, justice, sexual abuse, and many are using this as an because they're not grounded really firmly in any sort of confessional standard or like firm denominational standard they're beginning to drift and then a lot of them end up leaving orthodoxy because they believe that is what's going to deal with these issues mm. um, that is that is a big big issue that um, is a problem that's the kind of thing that a good church should be putting somebody under discipline for so even in even in new calvinism so we see a lot of different um sectors of this and mm-hmm. so I, and and I I think a lot of the people I would bring up are faithful brothers um in general but they they are not holding to a confessional standard yeah. so um when I think about like, like they're holding to a standard but it's mm-hmm. not necessarily something that they're grounded in um and and they actually say, okay, we're going to use the world for our how how we think about sexual abuse. Yeah, we're going to use the world for how we think about social justice, race issues. We're going to love the world and various. You can't speak to the certain things because you're of a certain gender or you're of a certain race. Yeah, um, people are saying this, and we can name names that. I don't know that it's necessarily helpful right now, but people are saying those sorts of things um, all over the place. I think it's an influence of not having a a standard by which they go by, a standard by which they say this is this is what I believe, and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna allow my system and my framework yeah. to go out outside of the boundaries of what this says. Yeah, and a standard that's historically rooted and has to the test of time. That's right. So that's why we think it's good to use a confession written by men 400 years ago. Right. Is because it has stood the test of time for 400 years and we believe it to be a biblically faithful declaration of what the Bible teaches. Yeah. yeah. Um, particularly for Baptist churches. Yeah. Um, so um, I think just to conclude this, let me ask you guys a couple questions. So um, what would you say to a new Calvinist that's in, that came and talked to us and said, hey, you know what, Cody, you know, you guys can have this standard. You can have the 1689, but you know what, we're, our church is going to just do, do what we're doing. We're going to, we're growing like the Lord's blessing our ministry. We, we got thousand, we, we had a thousand people get saved last year. Um, you know, it's okay for you guys to have that, to do that. But, you know, the Lord's actually using us to further his kingdom. We don't really need that. Yeah. The first thing I would say is <laughs> great that God is saving people in your church. That's amen. Glory to God. I would say also study history and look what happens when you get away from certain doctrines and what happens. I just got done taking a hermeneutics class at seminary. And one of the big things I had to read was how crazy hermeneutics got during the Enlightenment when people were stepping away from certain things. And they uh, and, it, and it led to, a, to what we see now, which has led to horrible ways of looking at Scripture like in, in, in looking at the Bible as the world does. Yeah. So I would say be careful with that. I would say 
study history and look what's happened when people do what you're saying when they say we're fine on our own and then I would I would immediately tell you go study these confessions and look at them and pair them up with your theology and pair them up with scripture and if like like we see the 1689 as it is right on with scripture not that it is an infallible or, or inerrant document it's not because it's not inspired by the Holy Spirit but it is we think it reflects the Bible accurately yeah. and I would tell him to look at that and then latch on to one you have anything to say to that? no I, I agree with all that I think that is really good um, yeah I would just say not that making that kind of an argument is an inherently prideful one I don't think it is but I think it's just very naive Mm. to believe that you can continue on a trajectory that's not fir- you're not firmly anchored to anything. You can say all you want to, we're anchored to the Bible. But the reality is people for 2000 years have been interpreting scripture any way they want to. Right. Right, which is why we believe confessions are helpful. And so um you're almost just opening the door for people in the future to twist your church into another direction and you have no guardrails to say that's right or wrong right right um, yeah so i would uh, yeah i would answer that question too um what these confessions do and what particularly i think the 1689 does well for us is it helps us guard from heresy mm-hmm. it helps guard us from going down a, a line of thought that could take us into heretical um, thinking so it takes us like so when we think about the person of Christ, this confession helps us think about the person of Christ. Mm-hmm. It helps us really understand who Christ was. It, it provides scripture a lot to go along with it to help us see where these things are at in scripture. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it guards us from being heretical, um, and it guards us from false teaching. I think really what Trey was hitting at is like. Maybe your church is growing and it's doing all these different things, but there there could be a hinge, even small hinges of heretical thinking in your preaching that could lead to bigger problems in the future. Right. Um, and that's and and that's what we want to guard against. We want to yeah. teach our people um, scripture as clearly as possible and make it as applicable as possible by having a certain standard that we go by. I would just, yeah, to qualify on that, I would be very, very, because God could be doing these things, but I would be very careful to equate church growth with the right preaching of the Word. Yep. I would be very careful of that. Not very. saying that, that God can use great preaching to grow churches, yep. like I mean like the, the Great Awakening, you know, and stuff like that, but look at some of these other churches yep. who have what people qualify as great preaching, and it's awful heretical garbage. Um, I mean, like their Jolo scenes are still out there, and so and their churches are massive. Yeah, yeah. So, Garrett, do you have any? Do you have, you want to say anything? We haven't let you talk. I'm sorry. No, that's okay. Sure. Um, yeah, I mean, really, just with everything y'all have been saying, I think it's it's really common. Uh, even for me, I hear it all the time. People just saying things like, "Well, I don't, I don't really believe in denominations. You know, I just need the Bible, or you know, we don't, we don't really need a confession." Right, we just our church just needs the Bible, right? And that's that's a good thing to say, right? It sounds good at least, um, but it also means nothing, um, mm. right? Because Baptists say they believe the Bible, Presbyterians say they believe the Bible, Methodists say they believe the Bible, Catholics would say 
probably that they believe the Bible. Oh, um, Catholic Catholics. Catholics say they Catholic, believe Rome. Catholic, yeah, that's what they would say. They would say Rome tells us what to think. But and that Rome is right. Rome that. is right on every. <laughs> Gosh. But a lot of people will well, say that, they believe the Bible, right? But not everyone means the same thing about that, right? Baptists right. and Presbyterians cannot both be right about baptism, yeah. right? Um, obviously, I don't want to make baptism a salvific issue, um, but it is still important, yeah. right? So we can say we believe the Bible, but if we let that statement be fluid, it also doesn't mean anything, right? So that's why confessions are so helpful, right? Um, because we can't just have this big, wide-open statement that means nothing, but it actually makes us pinpoint what do we believe, and not just what do we believe, um, but again, as we've referenced it, it's sort of a guardrail to guard us from yeah. being carried away by every wind of doctrine. Yeah. So just to wrap us up, um, a few just closing thoughts because we're, we're coming up on time. Um, you can go to founders.org and find a modern edition of the 1689, what we've been referencing a lot today. I would encourage you just to read through it. If you've never gave, if never looked through a creed, that's a good creed to start with. It's a good creed to read. It's our, it's, it's our confession. It's what we believe. Um, so we encourage you to go listen to that, or not listen to that, read through that. And um, and even if you want to discuss it, send us emails. We'd love to. We'll it, send you a, we will send you a 1689. Yeah. If you email me with your address on it, I'll mail you one. Yeah, there you go. Trey, Trey is all over that. So we'll, we'd be happy to send you a 1689. And also, we'd happy to receive any emails at bmbt1689 at gmail.com. That is bmbt1689 at gmail.com. And Cody has a couple of resources as well. well or thoughts, gonna, too. I was going to have just a closing thought. As, as we talk about, like, New Calvinism and particularly, like, figures like Driscoll and Harris, like, one... Of the troubling things I've seen, like on Twitter the last couple of days, is kind of like Christians, particularly Reformed Christians, having a gotcha moment of like, I told you so, and this was going to happen, and this and the other. Um, and I don't think that's helpful, and that's not the spirit in which we're talking about it. We're not enjoying that Driscoll saying what he's saying, nope, that Joshua Harris is saying what he's saying. And so as we kind of see these, what were like good and help and helpful things like a resurgence of Calvinism, as we kind of see that crumbling in ways, um, that's not at all a thing to rejoice in. Um, and it's really grievous, particularly when you think about Joshua Harris leaving his wife. Like, that is like, horrifying and yeah. incredibly sad. And, so um, we would encourage him to repent. Yeah, and so we so we don't talk about these things in jest, um, but they're serious. And the reason why we wanted to talk about it is because things like this and situations like this will keep happening if we are not having these conversations and learning from it. Right. That's right. And so yeah. and there's no room for arrogance in this because we yeah. we we are just as sinful. So if you feel yourself starting getting arrogant, lock yourself in your Calvin in your your Calvinist cage for a little while. Read some scripture. And humble yourself. Yeah, thank, thanks for checking. <laughs> what is wrong with you? Thanks for uh, checking us out. We appreciate you guys listening. Again, you can uh, reach out to us at bmbt1689 at gmail.com. Like us, subscribe to us, share our podcast out there. I, I really don't care who listens, but if we have 10 or 20 people. I care people, about our listeners. I mean, I care about our listeners, but I we mean, love all of you. We're doing this for all fun. All seventy-five of you. <laughs> Thanks. Appreciate you. Uh, see you later.